Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. conversation around how much power the Irish president should have has come around every now and again, usually after the president appears to step outside of their remit. Now, the president's remit, of course, is to be a figurehead for the country, and their main remit is to protect the Constitution of Ireland. Be the guardian of the Constitution. In other words, if a law is brought before the president to sign, which he must sign all laws, and he believes it's not constitutionally sound, he can send it forward to the Supreme Court to have it examined for constitutionality. If he believes that he doesn't want to sign it at that point, it's then passed on to the Council of State, who I believe will sign it, and he loses his job. In case you missed the story, Michael D. Higgins' remarks in an interview which was published in the Sunday Business Post concerning Ireland's position on neutrality. He said that the country was playing with fire during a dangerous period of drift in foreign policy and should avoid burying itself in other people's agendas. Now, this kind of lines up with what his wife was talking about recently, which was calling for peace between Ukraine and Russia. He also made uh, what he is now calling a throwaway remark about Professor Louise Richardson of Oxford University, the chair of the government's consultation forum on the international security policy and her being a dame of the British Empire. He referred to her uh, her very large letter DBE. This was felt to be very disparaging. Now, the president has since apologised, Professor Richardson, but it isn't the first time that he has said something that's got him into hot water. And I want to know, and you can text us at 087-188-0008, that's 087-188-0008, should the president have more power? And indeed, if the president is given more power, we're going to have to take the presidential elections a little bit more seriously. So should the president have more power? Let me know what you think. But joining me on the line to give me, I suppose, somewhat of a recap of President Michael D's bolder statements throughout the years is the former Irish Army soldier, defence analyst, uh, Declan Power. Good afternoon to you, or good evening to you, Declan. How are you? Good evening, Noel. How are you? Good. I mean, this is not the first time uh, young Michael has kind of <laughs> stepped out of line a little bit. But after all, we should have known that. We, I mean, if you, you know, if you elect a socialist person to be the president, well, they are going to make comments, aren't they? I agree with nearly everything you said there, Noel, except uh, the socialist bit. I, I don't think it's because he's a socialist. I think he's just he's a certain, he has a certain ideological drive and he feels compelled to, uh, to, to put things from his ideological perspective. Uh, I, you know, you could get somebody who is from a right-wing perspective who could be equally as loquacious. Mm. Um, I, I, from my point of view, it matters not at all to me whether he's a socialist or not, <clears throat> or the fact that we would have different opinions in certain things. What I feel uh, a little bit um, annoyed about, I mean, I don't. Th- he hasn't overstepped the mark constitutionally in as much as I'm aware there are other people more expert in that than I to comment on it. But what I feel uh, a bit annoyed about is he has consistently... Uh, for want of a better word, a uh, better way of putting it, mouthed off about things that are oftentimes outside of his knowledge purview. Like he's a sociologist by profession, an experienced politician, an undoubtedly intelligent and well-read man on many issues. But we saw, re- you know, not that long ago, fairly recently, he made comments about the economy and economists that a lot of people that would be more knowledgeable felt that he had he had led from an emotional. Uh, perspective rather than a logical and factual perspective. And in the most recent uh, little outburst of emotion, uh, he's done the same. And it's, you know, it's quite a calculated move. This is a deep-rooted ideological antipathy <clears throat> to Ireland mm. having any kind of security and defence relationship with any other nations and, and an attachment to neutrality, like an awful lot of people in this country. 
that's not really what I object to. I object to the fact that he has a massive platform uh, that he's using in an imbalanced way. Uh, because if he wants to be president for all of the people, then he should uh, be a little bit more balanced. And I mean, g- give, I us, give us give us a little respect. bit of a reminder, Declan, of other things that he has done in the past. I know he spoke about the cost of sure. living uh, recently and well, the housing the, crisis, the, or called it the housing disaster yeah. at the time. Yeah, you know, and do you know what? Very few people would disagree with him there. Of I, I would agree. It's a, uh, it's a disaster. Uh, he, as I mentioned, he was critical of economists and the, uh, the the system of economic management we have in this country. Again, people would be, uh, again, agreeable with him. Uh, he, some time ago when Fidel Castro died, he was lauding him uh, as a, uh, you know, a, a world Didn't statesman. he go and sign uh, the book of condolences for Fidel Castro? Um, did he? I'm, I'm not, I, think, maybe I think he, he did. did. Yeah, I think he did. Uh, but there, that was another occasion that I produced. Like, again, as my president, I would prefer not to see my head of state signing the book of condolences or just uttering condolences to the extent that he did about somebody who was seen by an awful lot of people as, a, a, if not a despot, was certainly the leader of a totalitarian regime. Uh, people who lead non-democratic totalitarian regimes uh, do not garner much respect in my book. But that's, that's my opinion. But, but, it, but is it not a case that, that he, but, as well as being the president, he's just a bloke? And we also have to respect that as a bloke, he has opinions, or as a person, and as a citizen, he has opinions. We don't have to agree with those. And when we elected him, a lot of that stuff came out, by the way, during the presidential debates at the time. Um, So we would have been well aware of it. So it's not a big deal that we know he's a socialist. It's not a big deal that we know he has socialist views. It's not a big deal that we know he's certainly anti-war. And by the way, the the comments that he made uh, in relation to this particular interview would be echoed of what his wife put out recently. Um, By the way, I I know you probably don't agree with me, but I don't completely disagree with everything she said. I think everybody would like to see peace. Uh, But it was maybe the Way she said yeah. it. Well, yes, I think. Well, you see, this again, you know, somebody wise once said to me in my starting my career, stay in your lane. Uh, when I was veering off into an area that I had a lot of emotional opinions about, but not a lot of factual knowledge about. And I think the president and his wife fall into that category in certain areas because I don't have a problem with the, opinion, with the difference of opinion. I would prefer to have seen the president wait until the forums had taken place, see what was discussed and transpired, and issue an opinion based on that. Instead, it seems to me the way he issued his opinions, because he's not a stupid man, he's a very intelligent man, and I think he has a a huge ideological antipathy uh, that required him to want to, he and maybe others of his uh, opinion, of his similar outlook, want to derail this before it's even begun. And the question is, what are they seeking to derail? The president is of the opinion this is a drift towards NATO. I would disagree. And, and I say that as somebody who is a panelist uh, in these discussions. And I would say this as somebody, quite frankly. Who but a lot, lot of people believe, a lot of, a lot of citizens of the country do believe it's a drift towards NATO. And um, they see, uh, now I understand, by the way, that neutrality is not in our constitution. Mind you, many citizens believed that it was until it was clarified recently, more recently. Yeah. We always kind of, yeah. there was always this thing in our heads, you know, that we, there's this thing in our heads that we have freedom of speech, which we don't. We have freedom of expression, which is slightly different. There's this thing in our heads that mm-hmm. Ireland is a neutral country according to our constitution, which is not. Uh, there's this thing in our heads that we're all entitled to a house in the constitution, which we're not. We're entitled to shelter. <laughs> 
answer. So we all kind of have this feeling in our head that what the Constitution is about, and we're kind of halfway on the money. But we are, we do consider ourselves to be a neutral country. And I suppose Ireland is drifting towards that by financially aiding Ukraine, uh, by financially aiding a war, uh, sending men over to train people as well. And a lot of people are not happy or don't like that. So, you know, he is only echoing, I suppose, the opinions of part of the population. Well, you see, here's the thing. You've you put your finger on something there when you talked about all of the things that we thought were the case. Uh, and, well, for a lot of people. And they discover through a process of investigation, examination and education, the reality of the situation. And I would prefer to see the president contribute to the reality of the situation rather than uh, emotionally laden uh, attempts to queer the pitch of discussion. Because the reality is, uh, you're quite right, I would agree with you. I I don't think Ireland, I mean, certainly if you read uh, Conor Gallagher's book, uh, Is Ireland Neutral?, he puts together a lot of information that I and others like me would have been aware of for some time. But it's great to see it all collated in one location, in one book. And when you read that book, and it's very well researched, and it's very easy to read, you realise Ireland has never behaved as a typically neutral nation from the point of the Second World War onwards. So we, we have this position where we're not a member of a formal military alliance, which is our government's definition of neutrality. But we take sides as it suits us, and we take sides in different ways. We rarely get embroiled in war fighting, but we will vote on certain things, we will contribute financially, and sometimes we will, we will facilitate military assistance. Sometimes, most times... That's the part that really gets people. <laughs> That's the, the Mick Wallaces of this world get very upset with the facilitating of military uh, uh, plans and the mili- military strategies. <clears throat> I agree. And uh, you're quite right. So the thing is, rather than getting angry about it per se, people should try to understand, well, why is that the case? And if you delve into it, for example, there were debates about before. People think because we're in the UN, that makes us neutral. Yet the debates before we joined the UN were about the fact that did this affect our neutrality? And the reality is, yes, it does, because the Swiss didn't join the UN until less than 20 years ago because they felt it impugned their neutrality. We're in the European Union, and to be quite honest, in many respects, what we're having is a redundant debate, because the reason we're assisting Ukraine is because the European Union is assisting Ukraine. We have slight derogations because of our squeamishness about uh, what we'll do militarily or not, but whether you're sending fuel for the tank or whether you're sending the tank, you're assisting the war effort. So we have very much nailed our colours to the mast in assisting uh, the Ukrainians survive this onslaught. Now, Irish people may or may not agree with that. I, I would suspect the majority of Irish people do want to help Ukraine, uh, short of direct military action. I think what we really need is to equip ourselves with knowledge as to where exactly do we stand, what are our arrangements, and also what are the threats. <clears throat> and the forums are about discussing that. They're not a citizens' assembly, and people are critical uh, of that. But That's a good thing, because a Citizens' Assembly makes recommendations. The forums are to allow for discussion, debate in a public setting. The public can attend. They can question the panellists. A report then is compiled for the government that will be made public. And the idea is people get to see the discussions with the benefit Mm -hmm. of hearing people who have a lot of experience and knowledge. Because, frankly, in Ireland defence debate is is very, very very emotional. It's very emotional and very low on fact. So this is about trying to inject facts. And then, ideally, we move forward, have more discussions, and we decide that we we take ownership of what we want to to do and go. And nobody, I I can't think of anybody that's recommending, including myself, and I would... uh, 
I would see the benefits of NATO, but I don't think this country is in a position uh, to join NATO. But I'll say one thing. We do need to have relationships with key elements, uh, organisations and states. We need to define how we want to have those relationships because we are not able to protect ourselves in any shape or form. And that is a fact. So, well, we're, well, we're never going to be. Well, we're never. Well, we're never going to be in that position, Declan. Not with a population of five million people and not enough money and not enough people in the defence forces. What seven and a half thousand people well, or whatever it is? Well, we're never going to be in that well, position on our own. On our own, we won't. No, but uh, we. You know, so here, here will be my key point, and it's maybe a, a longer discussion for another day. But I think it's worth making. <clears throat> the president, in his remarks, was, uh, seemed to be kind of critical of uh, the Baltic states like Lithuania and Estonia. He said, if we, if we joined NATO, we'd be like those nations. Well, those nations are free today for one reason alone, that they were in NATO. They weren't invaded. They would have been very easy to swallow up. They would have been the easier target to go for. But Putin went for Ukraine because he knew there weren't going to be the same repercussions. Uh, in my belief, and indeed the belief of this state, if you read Conor Gallagher's book, uh, The Official Policy, collective security works. It depends on... But Ireland is not good, but you know as well as I do, if Ireland was suddenly attacked, and by the way, Ireland is probably not going to be invaded by anybody, uh, the, last, oh, the only invasion we ever had was by the British, and no, that's, that's probably no, not going to happen again. So we're, we're not going to, I mean, we're of no threat to anybody, you know, Putin is not looking at Ireland, nobody's looking at Ireland. If anything at all, most of no, the major that's, countries... That's correct, well, well, okay. I know, I know the we're point. Not, I know not, you're going to make a point. But strategically, we're geographically very well placed. I no, understand. No, that. no, no, not even, no, no, not even that. I'm not, and who, like the other point is that uh, that's right now. Five, ten years from now, who knows what the situation is? But right now, Ireland is under threat, and this is what the forums are to unpick. We're not under threat from, as you quite rightly say, a direct invasion. You know, a kinetic uh, military act to use a, a, a professional phrase. We're not likely to see a, an airstrike or missile strikes or an invasion, despite the Russians uh, dipping into our, uh, our controlled waters uh, whenever they feel like it. What we are seeing and what we were, are likely to see more of, and this is what has the government rattled, is an extension of what's known as hybrid warfare. So that's hostile acts by, by non-typical military, by non-military means. And are, you, are you talking about means. digital means? I'm t- that's only one strand. Mm-hmm. Digital means various forms of espionage, various forms of economic uh, derailment and undermining, uh, disinformation campaigns that divide society and uh, lead to the kinds of uh, right-wing outbursts we've been seeing in recent times. There's a combination of all of those things. And while the Russians aren't very good on the conventional battlefield, as we've seen in Ukraine, they're still very good. They have a, they have a, a century-long experience of hybrid warfare. Now, the best way to uh, defend ourselves against hybrid warfare is to have a collective approach. And we sort of are engaged in that within the European Union. There are various centres and various mechanisms uh, that are arising that allow people to share knowledge, to share approaches, to share technology, to share expertise. And we very much need to be plugged into that, I would say. We don't need to join an alliance or such, because I would say we're already in the right alliance, which is the European Union, which is, uh, it's not, uh, strictly speaking, a military alliance, but it, it is an alliance. It is an alliance of like-minded nations. So we're already in what we need to be in, but we need to analyse how to make it work better. We're not doing that. And we need to also, as a society and as a people, uh, stop deceiving ourselves and re- realise that there are threats. Just because people think there aren't, we need to articulate. And maybe I would blame successive governments for decades for not 
being truthful with people uh, because they felt that they weren't able to take it. But, and but, so but his, yeah, but Michael's said remarks... said one thing and done another for years. Yeah, but his remarks yeah. and the quotes that I'm using there, playing with fire during a dangerous period of drift uh, in foreign policy and then burying itself in other people's agendas, right? I mean, you can't <coughs> really disagree with those remarks. It is a very dangerous so time. Could. Well, I know you will. <laughs> I know. It, it is a very dangerous time, of course, in the world. Um, it is another. It is other countries' agendas, and, and we get that, although, again, that's kind of echoing the remarks of Sabina, and I understand that you would completely disagree with that. Uh, and also playing with fire. I mean, there is a time and a place to talk about possibly, you know, joining NATO, but maybe this isn't the right time. Is that maybe what he's getting at? And no, yes, we, I think we'd all agree that, but by, by, from a legal wrong. point of view, he has stepped over wrong. the mark. There's no doubt about that. Well, 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 no, well I mean, he's entitled to me. I, I, well, I he's not really, is he? He's not entitled to make those marks. Well, I, I just I disagree with the way he's made them. I think if he had if he was sincere about wanting to uh, raise people's concerns, then he should have waited till after the forum. But, but here's the thing, Declan: if you if he if he had said something tomorrow that that you agreed with inherently, or that that's a lot of people may have agreed with in relation to Putin or whatever it is. I'm pretty sure nobody would have an issue. But it's because he's saying something that some people don't agree with or don't agree with his thinking on it is where the issue yeah. lies. Well, I, I, I think That's a bit unfair, isn't it? Well, no, maybe it's a good thing that he's, he's led to this discussion because a lot of people will probably ignore uh, the forums in the first place uh, and then the mainstream media would probably not pay much attention. But no, my key problem is I, I don't think he's done anything... Uh, Legal, uh, illegal, if you like. Well, the Justice Minister wouldn't comment. Helen McEntee wouldn't comment over the weekend in relation to it. He, she was asked, did he overstep mm. the mark? And she said that's for him, you know, to, to reconcile with and to check. But she, well, well, she wouldn't be, not, she wouldn't be, yeah. yeah, well, she wouldn't be held on it. She said she, now, well, she's not a lawyer, but you can be absolutely sure, Declan, as soon as though that uh, publication went out, you know, she was onto the DP, or not the DP, the, the Attorney General, and she was probably onto other people yeah. to find out, did he? No, but That's uh, our job. I'll come back to my point. Yeah, absolutely, you're you're right. I, I would agree. She did not just her; others would have as well. But the reality is, he. I just feel that he has a lot of soft power weight, and I think he was abusing it a bit because, like, there were a number of things he said that were factually incorrect, and he also used it to uh, besmirch the reputation of Louise Richardson, who I have often. But well, that was below the belt, yes. It was below the belt. It was beneath him. And, and the thing is, he's not stupid. He knew what he was Well, it was anti-imperialist, it was isn't it? I mean, if you want to call it something, no, no, call it anti-imperialist. It anti-imperialist. It wasn't anti-imperialist. It was not, he might like to construe it as that. It was, it was using, it, making a cheap anti-British type jibe to, me, to, to get his point across the line. Because how many, if Terry Wogan was asked to, uh, Sir Terry Wogan, as he was, was asked to uh, preside over a commission on the media, would people jibe at the fact that he had been knighted when he had spent most of his career in the UK? Like Louise Richardson was the vice chancellor of Oxford University, and before that, the president, the first female president in modern time of St Andrews University, uh, where she oversaw the development of their master's uh, degree in research centre on terrorism and political violence. She's a world authority on the causes of political violence. I've heard her speak many times. She's a very learned woman and she deserved more respect from the head of her state than cheap below-the-belt jibes. Uh, the other thing that I, uh, that I found that I took exception to, there were two particular things. Like the inference that this was all about joining NATO, it's not. What it's about is examining the architecture available to us 
to keep our country and people safe. No, but I, 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 th- I, no, but I think he knew that, Declan. But I think what he was trying to do was say that the conversation is happening. Uh, it's constantly been happening in the country for the last certainly the last six months. So the suggestion of it that the conversation should be happening about joining NATO, and I think that's what he's referring to. I don't think he's referring specifically just to that particular forum. I think he's referring to the fact that this conversation is in the is out there at the moment. Um, just but, it, I would, I would no, but Niall, just one point though. I would just rephrase that slightly. The conversation that's out there is what do we need to be doing for our national security? And one sliver of that for some people is about whether we should join NATO. But there's a whole host of other things that need to be discussed in the light of day. For example, how can we consider ourselves neutral if the RAF provide for our air security? And a French and US submarine... But they're only doing that in their own interest, not in ours. Hold on a second, hold on a second. You can, just, you can argue about whoever's interested. The point is that there has been a tacit agreement since the 1950s, it's a factual thing, about the RAF coming in when we are stuck because we do not have the means to deal with aircraft that come into our airspace. And one of the reasons is, it's not because, coming back to a point you made earlier, that Ireland is a direct target of the Russians. But what they're doing is, you know, they're testing reaction times. But when they do that, they are a direct threat to the safety of our civil uh, our civil aircraft, because they turn off their transponders. So when the RAF come in, and they're the only ones that can do this, what they're doing is not coming in to threaten to shoot them down. They fly alongside them with their transponders on. So then Ireland's civil uh, aviation radar can ascertain where aircraft are that previously were hiding, and therefore civil airliners can fly more safely. And that's a very simple, straightforward, safe uh, requirement. We can't do that ourselves. We require the British to do it first. Now, personally, I have no problem with that. I believe that grown-up countries pool arrangements and sovereignty where they need to. That's why we joined the European Union. To go back to your point, we will never, if we could quadruple uh, the defence budget and we will never have the ability to protect ourselves. No. So my, where I come from on this is we should be mature and we should be taking stock of what, deciding what is it we need, what do we need to protect who do we need to protect it from and how do we do it? And part of that will require us to have a... It doesn't require us to join NATO or to join alliances, but it does require us to have arrangements. The Swedes were doing this for years with their Norwegian and Finnish neighbours and, and indeed Denmark. They called it Nordesco, the Nordic Defence Cooperation System. Some of them were in NATO, some weren't. Some were in the EU, some weren't. Some were in PESCO, some weren't. And yet... They, had, they were able to combine on certain things, a bit like the way we already do so with Air Sea Rescue with, uh, mm-hmm. with the UK. So I would say uh, what we should be coming out of this is a, a series of relationships that we develop and that we're in control of and that all our citizens are fully clear about this. Now, to do that, we have to have a conversation. And I don't understand why the president is so anti the conversation. Because the conversation is about informing people. Uh, people will say different things that some of us will agree with, some of us will disagree with. And, you know, let's not close it down. Like he was okay, to I'm looking at some of the comments today. Some of the comments today, Dr. Sean O'Connell's law lecturer at UCC said that Mr. Higgins' predecessors, such as Mary Robinson and Mary McAleese, were adept at getting their points across in a way that didn't overstep the mark. Uh, in 2019, at an event honouring soldiers, the president said it uh, was not too much to expect the Defence Force personnel to have an income and prospects to provide themselves and their f- f- provide for themselves and their families. But privately, the remarks raised eyebrows in the government, of course, because seeing 
senior figures kind of view those remarks as Mr. Higgins intervening in policy matters. Now, so this kind of raises a question. When he sees the obvious is wrong, forget about the, the remarks this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. But when he sees okay. the obvious, I mean, let's talk about the housing crisis, which he called the housing disaster. When he talks about right. the Defence Force pay, which is abysmal, by the way, and everybody in the mother knows that, right? When he talks of about those I kind know. of... <laughs> when, when he talks about those kind of things... Surely a president should have the right. Is it time we looked at the role of president? Currently the role is a figurehead. Currently the role is, I suppose, the protector of the Constitution and signing legislation. That's about a sum total of the role, really, isn't it? So is it time we change the role? Maybe, I don't know, and maybe not to the extreme, similar to the United States of America, where the president has the ultimate role. But, I mean, similar somewhat to other countries where the president, president has a more active role in the running of the country. I, I was. I would say no, because it would require a huge amount of change to the constitution, to the, the way we do things. I think what's important is, um, like, we elect a prime minister, we elect a you know a teacher, yeah. and they're they're the mandated leader of the country. And the president isn't, you know, he's largely the the symbol of state, but he he or she does have oversight roles, as you correctly outlined, they, the way they preside at the Council of State. They can he can send as. President Carol O'Dolly did. He can send a bill uh, before the Council of State. He can send it back to the government and say that he's not signing because he doesn't think it's constitutional. Now, Carol O'Dolly did that and he caused a major constitutional crisis. And well, actually, what caused it was the criticism afterwards. I, I, I do think, by the way, this, this new legislation for incitement to hatred. Now, I know, I don't know personally Michael D. Higgins, but I know what he's like at this stage. And I think secretly in his mind, he's watching this debate going on in relation to this piece of legislation, which could be an infringement of Article 10, I think, or Article 12, I'm not too for sure, which is freedom yeah, of expression. You know what, I, and he may, like he, he may he not sign it. Well, do you know what? Uh, on, on that note, I would think that that is exactly what he, is in power, he has been elected for, to, to, to examine these things. And on a, so on a professional basis, I think that that's exactly where he should be directing his energies. On a personal basis, I would be in complete agreement with him if he didn't sign it. I'm uneasy about it as well. The more I read about it, the more I look at it, it sounds very much like thought police. And uh, this, is, this, com- this is the heart of why we want the president to be aloof from party politics and to focus on the fine detail in things that are being crafted to actually change laws and not to kind of get into mudslinging. And, and because if he does that, I would argue that's very much the essence of his job, whether he uh, you know, ends up being signed or not. But if he decides to maybe send it for further examination. Well, he, well, well, what's the it. procedure, by the way? I, I, do you know the procedure? Because I'm not, I'm not, I, so I, can I, he send it I've forward to the Supreme Court or does he have to send it to the Council of State first? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't. I think the Council of State is 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 a matter of choice for him if he feels that it needs further examination. But I think that he has the power to send it for review by the courts, by the Supreme Court, uh, if if he feels that it's unconstitutional. Because I'm pretty sure that's what Carol O'Dolly did. And the issue was about the uh, the Emergency Powers Act uh, being amended to give the army powers, uh, policing powers of stop and arrest at the height of the, as the troubles were spilling over here. And it led to the then Minister of Defence, Paddy Donegan, uh, calling him the thundering disgrace. The president well, I remember that. I remember, I remember that yeah. very famous line. Yes, I do remember that very famous Absolutely. line. Absolutely. We're off an age, Niall. And yeah. the, the, the issue was uh, O'Dolly resigned because he felt that the then Taoiseach of the day didn't take the minister to task and that the, not O'Dolly being personally insulted, but the office of the president being insulted. Now, this... This brings, the reason I mention that is because O'Dolly and in the times that were in it, people were looking at the office of the president. And so there was a degree of 
shall we say, uh, sacredness about it, and that he was aloof from the petty squabbles. And I think Michael D., well-intentioned as he may be to recast the uh, role of the president, and, and perhaps he has recast it, maybe this has changed for good and all that, mm. but it's bringing the president down, presidential office, down into the weeds. And here is the crux for me. Is it actually achieving anything? Bring it by bringing the office down into the weeds. I don't think it is because any of the things that where he's made utterances like has housing changed? No, it hasn't. Uh, no, no has, but uh, well, well, no. well, it may no, not it have. But it may not have. But him saying something, you know, may carry weight. Isn't that what it's all about? I mean, me saying something, you say something, doesn't carry weight. Like, for example, we have both just condemned uh, and we're quite, quite happy to do it. And I'm happy to do it as well. We're going to be having a conversation about it at 10 o'clock so people are entitled to challenge me under the Broadcasting Act, right? But we've both That's condemned true. this yeah. new piece of legislation, the Incitement to Hatred Act, uh, because yeah. it doesn't, and mainly because it doesn't define the word hate. Um, but if the president challenged us or said, listen, I'm going to send that off to the Supreme Court because I'm not happy with that. I think it infringes on article, whatever it is, which is our freedom to express ourselves. Um, I think it carries a lot more weight. And I'm looking here, David Kenny, Associate but, Professor but, of Law at Trinity College Dublin, said Professor Higgins' remarks on housing last year was one of the most significant in- interventions from a sitting president. And it's generally considered that the president wouldn't weigh in on matters of active political controversy or be seen to criticise government policy and performance. And within the Constitution, it allows for the president to communicate in an address to the nation or address of the House of the Rochus on any matter of national or public importance. However, the, the Constitution says every such measure or address must, however, have received the approval of government. In other words, he has to ask for permission to disagree. That's essentially what it but says. I've heard, I've, heard, I've heard another variation of that opinion, that he doesn't, that that was just a protocol or a, a convention that got accepted down through the years. I think I heard Dermot Farrator referring to that uh, in a broadcast earlier. Now, having said that, maybe we should take into account Dermot Farrator as a professional historian, and it would be interesting to have a legal opinion, but to be, my gut instinct is I don't think he I don't think he transgressed anything legally. And coming back to your point, what personally speaking, I just would be more comfortable with him doing his job as president. Where that means if something is being brought that he feels uh, is at issue, uh, such as a bill or something that he feels is dodgy, that he scrutinise it, that he make an utterance about it, and that he refer it to the Supreme Court if necessary, because that's he's acting as the gatekeeper. Whereas now he's not acting as the gatekeeper, he's acting as any other politician with a set of opinions. And and my ultimate reason that I, I, I don't think that's a great idea is, okay, yeah, it sheds a bit of light on it, but has it solved anything? Any of the utterances he's made haven't solved anything. They've added more heat than light. And in this case, certainly, it hasn't added any... enlightenment as to the issues. And certainly when it comes to defence and national security, this country has far more, there's far more uh, heat than uh, light. There's far more emotion Mm -hmm. than actual factual knowledge. And I would really like to see, I don't mind if he disagrees, I don't mind anybody having a difference of opinion with me about something, but I really uh, prefer it to be based on fact. And the the problem is, just to come back to this hoary old chestnut about uh, neutrality, you stop five, ten Irish people in the street, and you probably get the majority would say, "Yeah, I prefer us to stay." Well, then probably five or ten will tell you it's in the constitution. By the way, can I do? <laughs> well, well, yeah, but then, but exactly, and and ask them to define it, and they'll all have different opinions on it and mm. different understandings. And I, I would nearly be happy to bet uh, fifty euro that if you did a poll of most Irish people, they would both 
preferred that we retain the status of neutrality, but also would like to think that we have some sort of arrangements okay. with our European neighbours to, pr- to help protect us in the areas we can't do it. And you know what? It is actually possible if we give it a bit of thought to work out something that allows us not get dragged into foreign conflicts, but actually protect ourselves in a system of cooperation. Ideally, it would be great if we never had foreign conflicts. Uh, Declan, well, before, before you go, it's been a wonderful conversation as usual. I really enjoy well, our conversations. Uh, we may not agree on everything, but I, but I think we have an agreement somewhere in the middle. Boring. <laughs> it will be really boring. But just finally, uh, just before you go, uh, just in relation, because I am going to be talking about it in about 20 minutes' time, which is the Incitement sure. to Hatred Act, uh, the 20, uh, 2021, isn't it, actually, even though it's not gone through yet. So it's gone through the final uh-huh. stage of the doll. It's now been debated in the House of the Rockets. Most likely we'll go through it before summer recess. Be signed with the President, possibly in August or September. That's the plan, I'm assuming. Yes, the, the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, seems to think it has public support, yet every single poll we've seen so far says it doesn't have public support. It has governmental support, for some reason, but not public support. Mm-hmm. Um, and all because of the definition of the word hatred. In other words, you know, I could turn around in the air to you and say, I hate you, but that's only an emotion. It means nothing. If you want yeah. to feel hurt by it or uncomfortable by it, that's well and good. And I'm sure you saw uh, Pauline O'Reilly uh, from the Green Party giving her piece on it, which is now, by the way, yeah. an international embarrassment because it's a it was one of the main stories on Fox News uh, the other day. Uh, they're talking about us. Uh, Jordan Peterson is talking about us. Elon Musk is talking about us. We're a conversation for the whole world with this piece of legislation. Do you believe Michael D. Higgins should refuse to sign us? Uh, if, it depends on, on the detailed examination. But as I understand it, I think it is ill-judged at this point in time to proceed with it. I don't think it to paraphrase yourself, I don't think there are, the definitions have been clearly nailed down. And it seems to me, my personal opinion on it, is that it, it, it smacks of the thought police. Uh, you know, what, where, where does hate speech start and end? Obviously calling people racial epithets and things like that. We already have legislation uh, that covers that. Um, you know, so where, where, does it, where does it start then? Of course, shouting uh, names at people in the workplace or, or on the street is... Uh, it's, it's, it's not nice. But do people get locked up for that? I mean, I, I, I don't know. This is I, what I can't understand. I mean, there was, there was a story in the UK there. Where they have similar legislation. Maybe not quite. They've actually defined the word hate over there. But there was a guy who went to a football match um, and he had on it um, something to do with the Manchester bombings. And it was something, it was some take the piss and it kind of said something along the lines of the, 54 or whatever it was that was killed is not enough, Right disgusting, yeah. abhorrent t-shirt, right? And nobody should wear anything like that. And let's say from the outset, everybody agrees, you know, you shouldn't be saying hateful things. Um, but the, the point is, the guy was arrested, by the way, and he's been charged. The point is, should it be illegal? That, that's, where the, that's where the line comes. Yeah. And the same, when we talk about, say, yeah. you know, uh, the Second World War, and we talk about Hitler, and we talk about the concentration camps, and we talk about uh, the Holocaust, you know, I have no time for Holocaust deniers. I love listening to them. I love listening to some of their theories. I'm really intrigued by where they get their thoughts and imagination from. But, and I'm not appalled by it because I love listening to conversation. But should we be banning it? The, because that, that is included now in this legislation as well, Holocaust denial, which, by the way, is illegal in many countries within Europe. Not everywhere, but in many countries. So should we be banning conversation that we're uncomfortable with, essentially? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean... Look, you know the old saying, hard cases make bad law. 
uh, things that are very emotive, uh, basing the whole series of laws, then can have a series of unintended consequences. And I think that's where you, most other people, myself included, feel uncomfortable with this bill. Uh, it hasn't been thought through enough or explained enough or defined enough, and it could have a whole load of unintended consequences if you had a different type of government uh, or a mm. different set of scenarios. And we're also living in a time where people are getting very literal and they're getting very worked up about things. They're getting, dare I say it, uh, binary in their approach to things. So the grey area in discourse is being eroded. Uh, so if you have legislation then that has been brought into play, you could conceivably have a situation where you know serious erosion of free speech, uh, and notwithstanding what you were saying earlier, but we do live in a democracy. Uh, and you know one of the pinnacles of it you know, is people being able to voice their opinion, including the president. And I disagree with his opinion, but, you know, I still, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fundamentally uh, would not want to see him muzzled. No. And, you know, nobody should be muzzled. Now, there's distasteful comments, there's downright dangerous comments, there's incitement to hatred. Incitement to hatred... I, look, I think we uh, all agree with him. Exists. I mean, well, look, we've had... Here's the funny thing about this. I'm sorry this conversation has gone on a lot longer than you thought it would. We have incitement <laughs> to hatred since 1989, and the, the Justice exactly. Minister's argument is we've only convicted 50 people. And I'm saying, and I spoke to Michael Schellenberger, who's an expert and written great articles in this. He's a, an American journalist and also the author of the Twitter files. And I spoke to him only recently, and he said... The the very fact that there's only 50 prosecutions so far since 1989, does that not mean something? In other words, we're a reasonably tolerant society. In other words, people really haven't broken the law very much because if they were, you know, out there, even on social media, encouraging people to beat others up or to set fire to other people's houses or burn other people or kill other people, surely we would be recognising that. But people are not really doing that. They're saying horrible things. But, you know, the idea and, and that, that a police right, officer yeah. can go into your house, search your house, ransack and take all your stuff just because he suspects you might be in possession of hate, hateful material. And she gave an example of that in the Oireachtas the other day and said, if somebody was on a way to a protest and she used the word a right-wing person. Now, by the way, I've seen left-wing people uh, holding placards up recently in Scotland at one of the demonstrations for transgender saying all TERFs should die. Um, so, you know, they're equally as bad, by the way, when it comes to bad, using bad language. But she said if somebody was on the way to a protest and had slogans printed on banners in the boot of their car, even if they haven't used them, that would come under the legislation pr- prosecution. To me, that's, now, that's now bonkers. You put, your, you, you put your finger on it because the problem is, and I'll give you another example to add to that, what if people, uh, are, because of cultural uh, shifts and norms, start to focus on one particular type of hatred and it's not being applied evenly or balanced because there isn't a proper definition? Like we've, We're living in a time now where people have gotten very worked up about wanting to rename places. You saw the library in Trinity. Yes, that, uh, you've yeah. got to take the name of this guy. Cause, well, I yeah, don't agree with all that, by the way. I completely disagree with all that nonsense, but that's just my own personal well, so, Yeah, so do I, because I, I think where do you draw the line? Now, here's the, here's the thing. In terms of drawing the line, what I find uh, bemusing, and nobody seems to get too worked up about it, is there's a statue to a guy called Sean Russell out in the park in Fairview that Sinn Féin is still commemorating. But it's been damaged on numerous occasions, hasn't it, that that statue? It has, and I really don't understand why it's Dublin City Council uh, territory, and I don't understand why they haven't just taken it down. Because my objection to Sean Russell, apart from having been Chief of Staff of the IRA when it was uh, is seeking to topple the democracy of this state, uh, the democratic institutions of the state, and confront them. Uh, you'll have, one of, my, you'll have one of my regular listeners, Malachy Steenson, will be on in a second, give it out to you, because he's, a, he's like the great protector of that statue. Well, here's, but my real objection to it goes beyond his, his violent IRA past. 
He was a Nazi collaborator. He died in a German U-boat, having gone over to Germany to be trained as a saboteur and to do the bidding of the Nazis in the, to, to both undermine the government in, this, in, the, in, the, in independent Ireland and to engage in acts of sabotage on behalf of the Nazis and to undermine Ireland's independent stance and cause, cause the war to come to Ireland because... Uh, Although I won't go into the details of what he's involved in. But okay, so but the, but the point record. is, you, you disagree with that statue, right? But here's the thing. Yes. Would you call for it to be taken down? I would. Okay, I well, would. there are people I, who I support would. him. You know what I mean? There yeah, are yeah, but former Republicans. Do they often... Do they under, yeah, hold on a second. Sinn Féin, I don't... Never... Our modern Sinn Féin does not support... Uh, the ideology of the Nazis. So why would they support somebody who is a Nazi collaborator? But, but you could equally argue, and we, equal argue, and we both agreed, by the way, in relation to Trinity College and other such statues in the United Kingdom which were torn down, uh, you know, that these people were uh, slave buyers or slave traders back in the day or back in the time, right? Yeah. And by the way, everybody agrees, looking through 2023 glasses, of course, that was abhorrent. But of course, at the time, that was kind of normal work. That was the way you learned, you earned a living. That was just the way life was at the time. We understand now how wrong that was. But I mean, they are historical figures and they brought a lot more to the world than just that. Um, you could argue, and people will argue who are Republicans, that he did a lot more for the world or for Ireland than just what you're talking about. Okay, right. So, and obviously I wouldn't agree, but now we're at a point where, well, if that's the case, then we shouldn't be pulling down any statues. I would we agree. Say they were off their time. We should maybe put a plaque that puts uh, some context on it. Yeah, and, that's and okay. leave well enough alone and stop trying to rewrite history. I couldn't agree <laughs> with you more. Unless we agree on something. <laughs> anyway, there listen, and, and that's really that, that's my device on that. In that, if we're not prepared to do something that I think is uh, would be necessary, then don't don't touch. Just leave it. Put it into context. And I think, going back to your point about Holocaust deniers and other repugnant, odious people with odious ideas, the best way to combat them is with robust rebuttal, debate and fact. And, See, the, the, uh, well, it's very, and, but it's, uh, the, the legislation is very, very vague. Part of the bill states that it will be an offence under if the speech condones, denies or grossly trivialises genocide, a crime of humanity, a war, uh, a war crime, I mean, that's quite vague, isn't it? Uh, an act specified in Article 6 of the Charter of International Military Tribunal. I mean, that's quite vague. Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, what's a war crime? I mean, what's what, a crime what, against humanity? We, we, a crime against humanity? Do we that, that anything. Dan Breen, for example? Mm. Like, you know, I mean, there, there, you know, by the definition of war crimes, he definitely carried out some war crimes. Uh, but we, exactly, we don't. Because, do you know what? When you, you open a Pandora's box, when you start with yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Listen, Declan, it's been wonderful talking to you. Really interesting conversation. Yeah. It went on Take way too much, somebody. way too long. My producer's gone bonkers outside. Uh, but listen, I really <laughs> enjoyed it. Thank you very much indeed, Declan Paris, Not security all. analyst. All the Thank best you. to you. Bye. You're listening to Nighttime Talk with Niall Boylan. With Recruit.ie. Download our job search app today. Search for Recruit.ie in your smartphone app store. Ireland's Classic Hits Radio. Let me go to Melissa. Melissa, how are you doing? You're on the, the uh, Ireland's Classic Hits Radio. How are you doing? Um, good evening. Um, I just wanted to bring up there about um, President Higgins, and I have a lot of questions and answers here, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you were saying like, the major power, the only major power he does have is that he can dissolve it all or he can refuse yeah, to dissolve it all. Melissa, run up the stairs or something there. Your line is just a little bit, bit, little bit dodgy, but you're okay. So, yeah, the, okay, the, the is main. Okay, better? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Yeah. So, like, my main issue here with President Higgins is uh, while we were all in lockdown in 2022, 
um, the expenditure of the office of the president um, rose by 53% to $168 million. Now, we're all on lockdown at this stage. Um, I, b- I you know, believe, I, according I, to the Office of Public Works at that particular time, there was a lot of renovations going on in the Auras. So, you know, a lot of the, I mean, these would be Georgian buildings that would have to have consultants to come in before you can decorate them and all kind of carry on. So I believe, I believe there, that over the last few years, there has been quite a, a, an amount of res- you know, renovations going on. Now, I don't know whether that covers the, the bill you're talking about, by the way. Well, actually, their excuse was that there was a lot more people that reached 100 euros and they had to pay out the 2,000. Well, he has spent, I mean, there's no, there's no secret in the fact that he has spent more money as president than any other president. But then again, you'd have to take into account inflation. But he has spent more money than any other president, yes. He has indeed, because like the first term was 30 million, yeah. up to 1.68 million. In 2020, are we getting are we getting like, value for money? I don't have much time, but are we getting value no, for money? Not. No, we're certainly not getting value for money. And you know, I don't think he should have any more powers than what he has, to be honest. And basically, we're well. I mean, you're no. Well, hang on. Now, see, that's not really answer the question because you're basing it on Michael D. Higgins, and that's fair enough. You're not a fan. I, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm pretty. I'm not really a fan of him myself, to be honest with you. But but well, he seems I like a nice player because he did say he was only going to stand for one term. He yeah. lied to the people. Okay, well, and he rallied. And I remember yeah. that at the time, and it was. Um, Jared P. Cottle, actually, uh, an independent senator, was the. Um, they were just going to allow um, Higgins to, to carry on without even a president. I, I, I do remember. I do remember that. Okay, yeah, leaving aside, leaving that, aside, Michael D. Higgins, and if going forward, we have we voted in a presidential election knowing that the president would have power. You know, do you think it would be a good idea to give the Irish president more power? Generally, give him more power? Absolutely not. Forget about Michael D. Higgins. I don't mean Mike, I don't mean Michael D. Higgins. I don't mean from tomorrow. I mean going forward. Oh, for any president? No, for anybody. Okay. And um, like the powers that he has at the moment, he he makes um, all the judges. Our courts are in an awful state. He's over the defence forces. Were we ever so bad in our defence forces? Yeah, but he, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, but he may be. The, but he the, hasn't done a good job. He may be over the defence forces, but the minister for defence is the person who really looks after it. He doesn't on a day to day basis. He doesn't go and inspect everything. Well, he's actually. Let's see, he's the supreme commander of the... Well, he is, yeah, but he doesn't actually do it. So was, the, so was the Queen, wasn't she? But, I mean, she didn't actually go every single day and check everything. Somebody else looks after it. But, like, he, he's, he's overlooking these police. Like, we're talking even about our naval service. We're down to about six, are we? There's two of them <laughs> at, at, at dock. There's one of them that have been sent to me. <laughs> we're literally down to three at the moment. Yeah, well... well this is medicine. Well, a small country, aren't we, really? Real people... Real opinions. Real Talk Radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show.